This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Tonight on BBC One. Oh, it's going to be great. At nine. The Embarrassed the Celebrity Show. After the news, the first of three men behaving badly specials. He's much more grown up these days. They both are. They're sporting mayhem at 10.35. It's not the best view from here, I can tell you. At ten past eleven, love is a many-splintered thing. He's an arc. Ellie! One night of unbridled passion and you try to kill me. And with Robbie to round off the evening, spend tonight with BBC One. You join us at Christmas, the final TV time machine in 1998. I am Luke, and I am always here on the time machine and virtually never now on the Custard TV podcast. However, Matt is here, and he's on both. Hello, hello. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas to you, and to you a good night. Um, <laughs> we've got a bit of uh, admin to do first here on the time machine. We didn't do the charts last time because... My internet was from 1998 last time. New listeners, perhaps, who, who have fancied a Christmas listen. The first two of these that we did, I had Luke guess the top 10 from a certain week in that month. Last month, as I said, we didn't do it. So we're going to start with the November one and then end, of course, with the, the Christmas chart. On the chart from November that I have picked for you, Believe by Cher is still number one and also still there um, after 11 weeks in the charts is I Don't Want to Miss a Thing is still there at number eight. So what I have done is I'm going to do the top 12 so we can still 10 songs, Luke. Five songs from Now 41 because Luke is a, is a Now fanatic, but this is not one of them. This is very much a song I don't think you've possibly ever listened to. It is by a very famous androgynous artist of the 90s. Marilyn Manson. Marilyn Manson. Do you know any Marilyn Manson songs? If you give me half of the title. So it's a slang term for a drug is the first part of it. You know your audience. (laughs) The second word is quite a generic word. I can't. What are we recording now if we were to use, we say welcome to the, instead of podcast we said show yeah okay. so that's the second part of it i honestly don't know no. it. it's called the dope show yeah your marilyn munson knowledge is about where i thought it would be yeah <laughs> about your, did you know that then yeah i know i know oh, okay. that song okay but i used to go to rock clubs in the two where are you were cooler than me <laughs> well still am i think no were i said were. i'm sticking <laughs> with were um number 11 is someone who uh was in a group uh who had a big 1996 um it's a male artist had one of the best selling singles i think of 1998 and this is the follow up his big selling hit sampled islands in the stream and this one samples Reese the word do you know the group i mean no not no, okay. It is a group. If you remember back to our um review of the 1996 Top of the Pops, oh, uh, that's with, annoying. With Sophie, Emma Bunton mispronounced the name of this group. Oh, god, god, why don't I listen to my own podcast more? <laughs> this was a three piece group, not a pop group, but more a sort of hip hop. Oh, I maybe? hate myself. Uh, two men and a woman. 
the wo the woman had like a really really successful album either in 98 or 99 this is so annoying i hate myself the less successful of the two guys who were in the group the other guy went went on to be sort of a producer go on um, then tell me the group i'll tell you the song okay it's the fugees okay so it's kind of, is it ready or not no, no, no was... it's not. It's a solo. Oh, it's a solo? Were you not listening to any of those clues? Yes, I was. It's just my brain went into thinking <laughs> and stopped listening. Okay, so it's not Lauren Hill. It's one no. of the blokes. Yeah. It's not Wyclef. No. He didn't... So who was the other one? Who was the missing Fuji? Um... What was what was the f like a song in mid-98? It was a rap song and it sampled Islands in the Stream. So Ghetto Superstar. Oh, there we go. Praz. Yeah. Didn't you have another one called? Okay, what do you put on the top of the Christmas tree? Star. Apart from a star, something else. Angel. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't and if know there's more than one, they are? Multiple angels. <laughs> okay, so you've got angels. Blue angels, blue angels. Blue angels. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> This one does feature actually both male members are credited on this one from the from the Fuji's. Uh -huh. uh, but this is a sort of updated version of a song by a massive rock band. Mm -hmm. They have a royal name, this rock band. Their lead singer died at the start of the 90s. Oh. And then the other members just keep recycling the songs. Uh, they later went. They later went on to recycle another one of their songs with five. So it's Queen. Yeah. Now, are you saying that Queen had a hit in '98? Did they so, do it? Uh, another one bites the dust again. Yes. With Wyclef. And uh, and Praz. And Praz and Free. <laughs> apparently. Righty. These have not stood the test of time. Another one I don't think has stood the test of time. This is the first one that's on now, 41. Okay. Again, this is a guy who had a big hit earlier in the year, sort of singer-songwriter, guitar-based guy, arguably with a more famous sister who is also a singer. Eagle Eye Cherry. Yeah. And he only had one follow-up to the big hit, which was a, quite a nice record called Falling in Love Again. There we go. That oh. was number nine. Seven now we move to, because number eight is I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. That's still there. Yeah. Number seven is a re-release of a indie band's hit, possibly their most famous song, this band. Didn't James re-release Sit Down? They and did. And it sounded weird. I yeah, there really you go. I understand why they did it. Number six is... A, another one that's on now 41. Mm. I think it was a theme tune to something. Um, okay. It's a, it's a question. Um, oh, would you? Was Did it a theme they... tune to something? It was overused on yeah. TV. I don't know if it was there. I don't think it was the actual theme tune. No, okay. There. Okay. Uh, number five. Now, this is going to be a hard one because I've got no memory of this song. Okay. But it is by one of the sort of biggest boy bands of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Is on now 41. Oh, in that case, it's that weirdy 17 record. Wow. The ones uh, you get and the ones you don't. <laughs> and I will say they, they weren't called E17. They were called E17. E17, because they'd lost reason. Tony Mortimer by that point. And he so took I think the he, A and the S. The, he took yeah. the ass with him. The ass. <laughs> <laughs> he 
was the Asta the group? Any idea of the name of the song? Wasn't something like Stay or something like no, that? Two it? words. It's just quite a generic title, so I don't really know how It's got to... time in it. It's got time is the second Each word. Time. Each time? Where did you pull that from? God knows. It's time I... And you couldn't get Queen. Queen was <laughs> tough and Madonna was tough because they've not really lasted in the memory. But E17. E17, yeah. This now is a... Dance records, mm. mainly a collective. I want to say it was like one woman who sang it and then some guys Sash. on on keyboards in the background. Sash? Not Sash, no. They were very much, I think, a two-hit. I only remember them Tampra? Doing... Tampra, that's it. What was their second hit? I like this song. If you buy your this record, your life will be better. Yeah, there you go. At number three... Um, it is by a Welsh indie band. I believe that this is their biggest hit to date. So it's not the Stereophonics. It right? is the Stereophonics. Well, it's not their biggest hit to date, then. What was their biggest hit to date in 1998? Oh, to date. Yeah. Yes. Okay, we're living in 98. <laughs> Sorry. At the time. Yes. So Bartender and the Thief. Yeah. Number two, because as I say, number one is Believe by Cher is a double A-side by a five-piece pop group uh, who we, I think have had a hit on this chart before in 1998 that we talked about. Yeah. So it's Heartbeat and Tragedy. If That's it, it. yeah. Oh. That is it. As a Christmas present to me, there is no chart at the end. There is a chart at the end. <laughs> and I shall tell you, number 40 in the uh, Christmas chart is White Christmas. By Bing... It would go on to be a little-known search engine later in life. So what were your <laughs> memories of, of this Christmas? I was thinking of this, and I, I really struggled, because I remember Christmas 97 really well, because we had, like, friends, another family who had boys at the same school as us, and they stayed over, so I remember that really well. 99, I remember, because it was sort of around the millennium and, you know, I was 16 by that point and we were, going, you know, going to a party. But 98 is that weird midpoint where I'm, I am just struggling, really. I can place 99 by the Dinner Ladies and the Royal Family specials. But this one, I don't know, it's just sort of a, a bit of a blank spot for me. At some point in 98, you must have fallen out with that family. Did that? No, Christmas... no, no. We were still friends with them. Uh-huh. You just, they just didn't want to do another Christmas with you. No, no, they did not. <laughs> uh, I would have seen the shows that we're going to talk. Uh, certainly one of them, if not, you know, most of them. Um, do you want to settle what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about um, Men Behaving Badly, which had its final trilogy over the Christmas period of 98. Uh, We're going to talk about Louis Theroux's Weird Weekends, which saw him get together the contributors from the first series of his documentary series, Weird Weekends, got them together in New York to spend Christmas with him. Then we're going to do DocuSoap, Paddington Green, which was a fly-on-the-wall thing about that, that area of London. And Jonathan Creek had a Christmas special in 98 called The Black Canary, with the original duo of Alan Davis and Caroline Quentin. And that together. was on Christmas Eve. Yeah, Christmas Eve. Yeah. 
this was your last Christmas before yes. you went to America? Yes, is that it right? was. The weird thing is, I remember it really well because we were surrounded by boxes and my aunt and uncle were staying and they'd never stayed before. And all the way through watching them behaving badly, I had visions because we, for some reason, I don't quite know why, we sat down to watch this and I just remember watching my aunt's face and laughing hysterically at her reactions to some of the bits in Men Behaving Badly, because there are some bits that we're bound to talk about. But I do think it wasn't exactly designed for families gathering round together at Christmas, but we did it. And I remember seeing the Paddington Green and the Jonathan Creek, but I wasn't aware of Louis through at the time. But yeah, it was my last Christmas. We said goodbye to everyone in the January and then didn't leave till the 15th of February. So that was a bit awkward. <laughs> And so we just went to a farm in Wales for a month and waited. And the next place. TV time machine will be... I've left or... You were I'm in a farm in Wales. I was in a farm in Wales with no belongings. OK, let's, let's leave okay. that till January. OK. Tease the audience. It's going to get bleak. <laughs> Tales of Wales. There's a mini-series. I don't want Tales to do of a, Wales. I don't want to do a third podcast. I'm struggling with the two we've got. <laughs> Okay, so some news. Big news from the 2nd of December, Luke. We had the first ever Stars in Their Eyes celebrity special, which featured five members of Coronation Street as the Spice Girls. Uh, It was won by um, sort of minor celebrity for five minutes, Stephen Houghton, who I believe was an actor from London's Burning, but had a hit with Wind Beneath My Wings. Vaguely. remember that. Vaguely. And um, something that I, I don't know if this would haunt me now, but Carol Vorderman as Cher. Okay, YouTube. <laughs> Channel 4 announced on the 3rd of December that it had secured a £400,000 deal to air the only interview with who? The only international interview with... Monica Lewinsky. Monica Lewinsky. Now they're lucky if they get that to produce a series of Come Down With Me. (laughs) Viewers of the Living Channel, that was a sort of minor Sky Channel. Actually, it was quite a big Sky Channel back in the day. They had quite a lot of American stuff on there, I believe. Did they have Jerry Springer on that? Yes. Viewers of the Living Channel accidentally see five minutes of an adult film being aired by Television X following a switching error by the company... Relaying both channels. What a time Interru- to be alive. Interruption occurred during an edition of the Jerry Springer show. Oh, you probably wouldn't have thought it was odd. No. You probably just <laughs> thought, oh, it's a bit of Jerry. <laughs> Children's TV news, which was probably a little bit sad at the time. After 22 years of presenting Sooty, Matthew Corbett announced his Aww. retirement. Very much sort of my Sooty era, Luke. Yeah, mine as well. as well. Mine well, 22 well. years, I think. Yeah. Um, it's a long time to have your hand up something, though, isn't it? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> We're talking all BBC shows today, but on ITV, they aired their first panto. I don't know. If you, again, I say, I don't know if you remember, you were in the States, so you probably yeah. didn't. Yeah. Like, they did four of these pantomimes. Two of them aired on Christmas Day. One aired on the 2nd of January and one aired on the 1st of January over four years. And were the only um, thing I know about them, were they all written by Men Behaving Badly, Simon Nye, or did he just yeah. write the first? All written by Simon Nye, and Julian Clary and Paul Merton were in all four. You know, every year it was this big sort of celebrity thing. 
Jack and the Beanstalk was the 98 one. Okay. And had Neil Morrissey as Jack, Griffiths Jones as the Baron, Adrian Edmondson as the Dame, uh, Denise Van Outen as Jill. Julie Walters was in it. No. Mary Godmother. I'd pay to see that now. Julian Clary as a henchman, Paul Merton as the narrator. Uh, Morwenna Banks was in there as well. So, yeah, pretty pretty decent cast, these were. So that was a weird sort of 90s, early 2000s. Who have you got in yours, your local anomaly. one? Do you know who you've got in your local one this year? Because we're Stoke, every year is Jonathan Wilkes. Okay, that's probably what he lives off, is it? He's he's in that every year. But we've also got Noel from Hearsay as well. God. <laughs> It's like you're in 2003 or something over there. I think we've got we've got Snow White. Oh, there you go. We've got oh. Wendy Peters from... Oh, yeah, from, from Corrie back in the day. Aurea Duba. Oh, that's quite a big name. Bob Golding. I don't know who he is. No. And then as the, ma- as the Magic Mirror, Alan Carr. But he's not actually there. Oh, yeah, just like a tape. record Yeah. And then I think in the one a bit further down the road, Brian Connolly's in it. Okay, that's good. No, um, <laughs> no, no, but that's a, good, a bit sort of relatively a big, yeah, a big name. Channel Four on Christmas Day aired The Omen at ten thirty. Of course, of course. Led to viewers' complaints that its scheduling on Christmas Day was in poor taste. Uh, but the um, chief executive of Channel Four at the time, Michael Jackson, no, not that one, described <laughs> it as. Typical of how the commission fails to get things in proportion and said he would schedule the film similarly again. You and think I... if it was the other one, they'd have just shown Peter Pan all day. <laughs> that is the news. Now, here are some highlights from... B... Do you want me just to go on to BBC Christmas Day? Because we're go doing on. BBC. Go on. Obviously, Top of the Pops, which is at uh, 10 to 1. Noel's Christmas presents, a staple at the time, but I think that might have been one of the last ones. I don't know if he did it after the um, house party got cancelled. I don't know. I know he moved to Sky and did some more in the early noughties, but... Yeah, that might be it then. He did did it on Sky. And then at 5.55, another staple of Christmases of the 90s that I remember, Auntie Spanking New Christmas Bloomers. Do you know I love those? I used to really enjoy Do you want those. to tell the, the young people what they were? It was just Terry Wogan introducing uh, outtakes from various BBC shows. Like bloopers. Comedies and dramas and soaps and the news. And But this was at a time where you didn't see behind the curtain very much. So it's, it felt really special to me to be able to see these people messing up and having fun. And I really enjoyed it. And because it was only on... You had a very sheltered childhood, didn't you? I know, I didn't, I did. The TV premiere of Babe at 7 o'clock. And that would have been Um, out in 95, so that shows you there was a massive gap between cinema release, video release, sky release, and then terrestrial release. Well, I have, I I looked it up with a memory of the 2000 Christmas on BBC One, which most of the schedule that day was taken up by the premiere of Titanic. I mean, who hadn't seen that by then? I don't think really? I had. Well, that answers my question then. Thank you. <laughs> Me. Then after the news, we had uh, Men Behaving Badly, which we will be talking about. They think it's all over. 
And then another Alan Davis thing, a many splintered thing, an adult romantic comedy, um, which had at eleven ten on Christmas. They had night. high hopes for that. Uh, that is us with the news and the schedule. So, Luke, over to you for the first review. Yeah, so I've already talked about how uh, we sat down as a family for some reason to watch um, and behaving badly. This was the final trilogy. And this episode is called Performance. The basic plot points are that Gary and Dorothy are trying for a baby. Tony moves out of the flat and struggles, the pair struggle with not having their nightly male chats. He moves in with Deborah, but when he causes Deborah an injury, pushing her too high off a swing that she falls off and severely sprains her ankle, it's possible that uh, all the girls think it's possible that Deborah might lose her leg. Half jokingly, they tell him that, and he starts to panic that he doesn't want to live with a one legged woman. Elsewhere, um, Gary struggles to perform in the bedroom and gets a load of stick for it and then a load of adult videos to help him um, with his problem and help him um, conceive properly. Uh, There's also a karaoke night in The Crown as uh, it's looking like business is slowing down and they might have to close if they can't come up with uh, interesting nights to get the punters in. So the karaoke night takes place where Gary and Tony hog the mic and uh, spend the majority of it enjoying themselves and the pub gets tighter and tighter. What were your memories of it? How much did you enjoy it with your 2023 hat on? I was just going to ask you, what was your relationship with the show overall? Um, I didn't see any of it on ITV. I don't think I knew it existed with no, Harry, I didn't think I did. Harry Enfield in it. The series before this, the final six episodes, I really, really liked. Um, I've seen them multiple times. And then they did a Christmas special in 95 that I really, really liked. Uh, and then I really enjoyed the uh, some of the earlier ones, but only ever the Neil Morrissey incarnation. And then, of course, when I got to America, I bought the VHS tapes and then the, and then the DVD. So I've seen them multiple times. Because I remember watching them sort of when they were on. And again, it's one of those where possibly I shouldn't have been watching. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Although Um, parts of it, in retrospect, feel tame mm. and parts of it feel ruder. Yeah, Because it would have been on about sort of 10 o'clock, wouldn't it? This was the time when it was a nine o'clock news. Yes. um, On BBC. So it would have been on quite late. There is one scene in this which sort of still permeates in terms of like comedy moments that you see where... um, Caroline Quentin uh, lies down on the bed um, that she shares with uh, Martin Clunes, his character, and um, he has been enjoying himself to these videos and there is a uh, sticky tissue that sticks to her face. And yeah. I think that that scene, her expression and the sort of the comedy way in which she peels this tissue off her face yeah. is the sort of abiding memory of this. What you were saying about your... Auntie, That's exactly I, the scene. Yeah, I thought so. And yeah. I, I I remember seeing, I think it is in a sort of a clip show, you know, I remember Christmas or one of those sort of things where, where they did talk about how many complaints this got. I couldn't find an article about it anywhere uh, when I was doing research for this, but I know this was prime time on Christmas Day. 1996, obviously, they'd had the Only Fools and Horses stuff, and that was like, you know, massive. 
Um, 97, I think they had One Foot in the Grave as well as A Man yeah. Behaving Badly. Yeah, but this was the big, it would have been from One Foot in the Grave. Yeah, this was the big comedy thing. You know, it's as, as we said, it's three nights over Christmas. It was Christmas Day, Boxing Day and the Bank Holiday Monday, where the final episode actually got a ridiculous rating. It was the, the biggest sort of non-soap thing of really? the Christmas weekend. I think it was... 15.19 million people watch the final Superb. episode. Superb. Um, <laughs> super. I, I do sound like Tony a bit there, don't I? <laughs> Initially, I was like sitting there, not stony face, but nothing really worked for me. The first thing that really made me laugh was the, the thing with the swings. Yeah. Where Debs ends up getting an injury because Tony's trying to compete okay. with another guy swinging his girlfriend on the swings and they go higher and higher <laughs> yeah. um, until Deb falls off. But it's the it's it's not the fault as much as the sort of competitive look yeah. in these two men's eyes. And the swing and, coming back as well. Yeah. yeah. But the yeah the 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 sort the fact that that is quite a believable yeah. thing really. And I think the chemistry between Neil Morrissey and Martin Clunes just amazing. was immense. You know, you can believe their relationship. You can believe their friendship. I don't think the female characters either were played as fools in this. I think no, maybe they're equals, maybe even sort of smarter than them, especially Dorothy, Caroline Quentin's character, I think was almost like the mother figure in a way. She was brilliant here. And the, as you say, the karaoke night with uh, John Thompson again. <laughs> I always, I've seen these multiple times. And for some reason, whenever John Thompson turned out, I'm always surprised. I just don't. He's, he was in the, in the last two episodes, yeah. wasn't he? It was a different uh, landlord in the early. Liz, a big fat guy, yeah. And this was him with dyed blonde hair yeah. as well. Yeah, um, I don't quite know why. I think he had some of the better lines, actually, in this as well. And then. As you say, the the extended karaoke night um, with such such uh, gags as an old woman singing Meatloaf. Yeah. Ian Kelsey of Emmerdale fame. Yeah, that was uh, great. Getting a lot of the women swooning. And John Thompson singing uh, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar, which is yeah. the scene where everyone gradually leaves the pub. I don't know if it sort of stands up as a, a like a great like laugh out loud comedy. I mean, I've been watching some of the obviously over Christmas, especially like Gold, for example, just plays Christmas specials, yeah. and some of the old like Two Ronnies and Victoria Wood stuff still makes me laugh out loud a lot. And I wouldn't say this did, but I think at the time because Men Behaving Badly was such a phenomenon, and you'd stayed with these characters, I think if. I was watching it at the time. I, I think I have less of a connection with these characters, is what I'm saying, mm. in 2023 mm. than I did in 98 when we've been watching them for years and years. Obviously, again, as well, this was the start of a of a trilogy uh, which would end with the final episode. I, I know it got some sort of backlash at the time for like it almost like celebrating the sort of lad culture of the yeah. 90s, but I think because it presented these two as fools constantly mm. i don't think it was ever sort of celebrating that almost like mocking it in a way yeah. what about you i i think it made me laugh more than you actually there was a couple of gags that i'd forgotten that i enjoyed like i'd like to see more programs on tv things like how to get from one place to another more quickly or a program of mm. how to find your keys 
like you say, it's a very believable friendship. I liked Dorothy and Deborah talking about how they'd mature and then the camera pans out and they're all on that yeah. child's toy. Going That's on the, the preview that they show. Oh, that, okay. that clip is on the preview clip that they show to promote. And Monday I remember us all laughing out loud when they were saying, um, and I did again watching it, they're saying, Tony and Deborah are saying it's wonderful and they're going to be great parents and Gary's there with a little boy on his shoulder and he lifts it up, his arms up and obviously the kid falls onto the floor. It's a brilliant thing. And Martin Clunes now, of course, we know for this genteel sort of countryman who does documentaries on animals and he does Doc Martin and he sort of shedded this image of himself that Menbehaving Valley gave him. But he, he is in this really really funny and really really sweet i mean there's a line where they're struggling to perform that dorothy says the garage doors are open but the car doesn't want to come up the drive and he says well that's it never going to be able to look my mum's garage doors in the face again and that made me laugh an awful lot as well martin includes and neil morrissey together are just really really funny and at the end when um neil morrissey and and leslie ash tony and deborah are trying to recreate the male banter they have and she just can't nail it it was yeah i like that i was just gonna say that that was a that was a a good moment consistently funny all the way through it seemed it didn't seem to ever slow down the karaoke stuff was great them taking it so seriously the bgs the three degrees it didn't matter what the song was they took it really seriously i was surprised how much i enjoyed it because i'd seen it multiple multiple times but probably not in the last 15 years probably I haven't seen it but yeah I, I, it was surprised me how much I enjoyed it and how much it made me want to go on to the next two it is all up there on ITVX as well is it not yes ITVX that's where you got to go to find it following on from that we'll do the drama or the mystery drama of that Christmas Matt said it aired on Christmas Eve it's called Black Canary and it's Jonathan Creek's first Double Quentin. Yeah, we're doubling up on Caroline this Christmas. It centres around the mysterious death of a woman who it transpires was once part of a really famous, well-respected magic act, Mirella Carney. Her husband sees her appear to shoot herself and die in the snow after an argument with a man. But oddly, the man leaves no footprints in the snow. How is that possible? And later it's discovered that even though the husband saw Mariella kill herself, she actually died five hours previous to when her body was discovered or when she supposedly had shot herself. So those are the mysteries uh, that Jonathan Creek Maddie have to work with. They're also working alongside Rick Mayles, over-the-top police sergeant, who is trying to get one up on Jonathan, but is sort of enamoured by him and working closely together and then at separate times. There's also a subplot that Jonathan had feelings for Mariella's daughter, uh, Charlotte Carney. He was infatuated with her. Maddie overhears this when she calls to speak to Jonathan and she hears a conversation between Jonathan and Adam in the dressing room. So the whole time that Charlotte's on the scene, Maddie is trying to get in the way of Charlotte and Jonathan so they can't rekindle any romance that might be there. Some key things to know about the murder victim. It is well known that she is severely claustrophobic and 
the secret of her magic act was that her twin sister was the one actually who would get in all the confined spaces and boxes, but it was a secret that nobody knew. Only those in the magic business had heard rumblings about there actually being two kindly sisters. But that all ended brutally one night when the sister who was supposedly the claustrophobic one was literally sawn into when a false blade jammed and she literally had her body sawn into by the real thing. And so it's the story of this family, how this woman who supposedly is seen shooting herself to death, how she is found to have actually died several hours previously, how is that possible? And how is it possible that the man who was seen having an argument with her left no footprints in the snow? And just to go back on something I said earlier, Adam is the magician who Jonathan works with and choreographs all the tricks and makes sure that everything works. And he goes through gallstone trouble in this episode as well, which comes up later on. I didn't grow up on Columbo or Murder, She Wrote. This was my first foray into not the not the crime drama, but the sort of the, the locked, locked room, room genre. Yeah, exactly. And Jonathan Creek, written by David Renwick, who I knew from One Foot in the Grave, he always did this thing where the mysteries were completely implausible and then Jonathan would pick up on something something really small and would say, well, that's the key to the whole thing and you'd be sitting there going, what the hell have I, is he seen that I haven't seen? And I always thought they were really intricate and clever. Watching it in 2023, I don't think this is the best example of the show firing on all cylinders because I don't think this one was particularly intricate or clever, but that might be because I remember it vividly. I think David Renwick would admit, because I've seen him in interviews say, the longer it went on, obviously the harder it was to think of clever ways of not only how did this thing happen, but the reasons for someone being in a locked room or killing themselves when they can't fire a gun or whatever. So it just got more and more diluted. I enjoyed the stuff with Sheridan Smith in the later years, which we reviewed on the podcast when that was out. But this was the original incarnation of Alan Davis, very young, fresh-faced, with Caroline Quinton, obviously at the top of her game with this and then behaving badly on the, the BBC over the same Christmas period. It's not a show I've revisited a lot, but it's a show I really look forward to uh, when it was on. It was a it was a favourite, yeah. This was something I remember being on, but I don't think I remember any sort of specific episodes, if that makes sense. Biggest memory of like a mystery crime drama of this ilk, of the people who have other jobs but also solve crimes, uh, was Pie in the Sky. He was a retired copper who became a chef but was still brought back to help solve mysteries and like this you would have the mystery but you would also have the what's going on at the restaurant plot like we had here what's going on with Adam the magician and he's got his like you know he's got a new infatuation with a new assistant who is as he thinks very innocent and there's you know nothing in this is really really heavy um, and I think that is a testament to Alan Davis and Caroline Quentin, who are both comics and comedy actors. This is dramatic to an extent, but their dynamic is very much of the screwball comedy. You know, there's a underlying romantic tension, but there's a friendship 
And I think possibly that's why this iteration works best for you out of all of them because of that sort of relationship and because of that banter. As we spoke about before, remember Haven Badly, they've got that natural chemistry mm, very much so. um, and they work if, off each other really well. And, you know, there's the scenes in there where she's talking about, if we get through this, I'm going to open the sweet shop and things yeah. like that. You know, it's very quirky, but not annoyingly quirky, like him no. living in a, in a windmill, for example. Specific to this... I really enjoyed Rick Mail's character. I thought he was great. I liked their relationship, but I didn't ever really care about the mystery. I think that was the lesser part of it, which in a way I don't think matters that much. I think you're more invested in the characters that you are going to be spending time with and their relationships. I think the best thing about the mystery was the introduction of the daughter, as you say, who was almost the one that got away for Jonathan Creek and how that played then into his relationship with Maddie, the Caroline Quentin character, and how he didn't butt heads with the Rick Mail, the police officer, but he was almost one step ahead of him at all times. There was a great running gag about how they couldn't work out whether the, was it a DS, the yeah. associate of, of Rick Mail, was a man or a woman? That was a good running gag. It was an hour and a half and it was a really easy hour and a half, you know, for me not remembering much about it. But no, I enjoyed it and I can see people settling down. You know, you've got all your your Christmas Eve stuff done. You're settling down to watch something and I can see this being a nice sort of festive watch without being saccharin you know it's yeah. it's not set at christmas it's set in january they do mention that at one point but it's it's snow drenched it's got that mystery it's got that humor it's got that intrigue very well written by david is it renwick or renick renwick with a w renwick are you sure yes i think it was not of its time but again it's something that they tried to bring back but lost that Ironically, the magic. Yeah, the magic. That's it. This was uh, just looking it up. Nine thirty on Christmas Eve night. So it was literally, you know, you got everything done, ready for the morning, and you just wanted to watch. Sit down. Just sit down. Sit down. Yeah, I don't really know what more I can add. You've sort of summed up everything really well. I agree with you. The central mystery wasn't the most intriguing. I sort of remembered it. The way the brain does this thing, I sort of remembered it sort of halfway through and, oh, yeah, I know where that's going. But I was invested in the rest of it. As you say, their chemistry is unbeatable. You're going to tell me that you were aware of Dan and Davis before Jonathan Creek, but I really wasn't. It was my first introduction to him, this sort of duffel coat wearing. I don't know how I would have been. I don't know whether it was ever on any late night stand up or anything that you shouldn't have been watching when your parents weren't around. This was my first introduction to him. That character could be so irritating and grating, but he never is. And they bounce off each other really well, as you say. Rick Mail, controversially, I, I've never been a fan of his, really. I, I think. Boo. I know. Boo. Controversial. Boo. I, why? Um, no, I always Didn't think you... I, I know it's the point, but I think he's always been too big for me, and I know that's the point. But I feel like David Renwick knew who he was writing for and wrote him well. 
So it was a, still a bigger performance than everybody in there, but it was, I thought it was balanced with everybody. Adam is a character that I never really liked or warmed to, and I think he's a feels a bit stale here. But yeah, I, I don't think it's the best that the show could be, but it was it was still fun. Like you say, even now when we watch something longer than an hour, I sort of groan. This was an hour and a half, and it went by really quickly because it was well-paced. It didn't linger on anything for too long. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I was surprised, again, how much I did enjoy it. Although you weren't immersed in the mystery, did you think the resolution was clever or a bit easy? I wouldn't say clever, but satisfactory. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it was one of my least favourite reveals that they do, but I do like the whole locked room poker face thing where everyone's gathered together and they explain how the deed was done um where is this stream it's not streaming anywhere we found it maybe Brickbox. it is Brickbox. if you want to get yourself Brickbox for christmas you can watch this uh meanwhile quite easier on the iplayer is louis theroux's weird christmas now this was actually rather cleverly filmed over Christmas of 97. So they obviously had ideas that this would be a hit because you don't commission a Christmas special if you don't think it's going to go well. Uh, and this was um, Louis Theroux inviting four of the people he had spent time with at their homes, bringing them together to spend Christmas with him and to do things that would be outside of their comfort zone. So here we have Mike who had spent 28 years living in a hole underground in Idaho, uh, but would want to be a folk singer, bizarrely. Preacher Randy James, who is this really over-the-top angelical Christian who just believes everything that those sort of people believe, but to the nth degree, uh, and he wants to spread his message to the people of New York. And then we have J.J. Michaels, who is a porn star, who, if you've seen that episode, is is a really broken person and is actually the the least uh, engaged of the three. And then they have a fourth person come in uh, in the form of uh, Reverend Robert Short, who is this guy who can channel a lord or a god from another planet. So that gives you a flavour of what the Louis Through Weird Weekends were. They were looking into offbeat subcultures of America and sort of exploring them, sort of winking at them, going, aren't these people weird, but never really objectifying them. I've heard Louis Theroux subsequently say he's proud of elements of it and would do other things differently, but this is what we got. This was his first BBC documentary series. He would go on to do a second and a third series. This is the only Christmas special, and uh, it brings, as I say, these three very diverse people together under Louis' guise and takes them on a bus and shows them around New York and opens their eyes, but maybe not their minds. You didn't watch this at the time, but obviously when we were putting together what we were going to watch, you knew the premise of this. You'd obviously watched it. So when did you watch these Louis Theroux's? When we've been in America about five years, I discovered a website called thecustardtv.com. That website... Was it not the custard.tv? it was. And they had episode guides and uh, stuff about them and which were the best ones and had a little bit of interview with Louis through. And I was sort of interested in an English take on 
the American subculture that I was not really living in because I was in California, which is much more forward thinking. So again, got the DVDs, got them shipped, watched them all, found them all fascinating, fell under Louis' spell really quickly. And then I watched everything Louis through did subsequently. And he took a long break from the BBC after his interview that didn't happen with Michael Jackson and then came back in 2007 making the sort of documentaries that we associate with him now. There is a stark difference between this Louis Theroux and the Louis Theroux, as you say, we have now. And you would say that that started in in 07. 07, first one he did for the BBC was called Gambling in Las Vegas, where he went and saw the high rollers in Las Vegas. But I was struck by the fact that this was immediately more interested in them, the problems that may have led them to be those sort of people, to be wasting their life in casinos, to be gambling hundreds of thousands of dollars away. And it was more a look at the human condition. And and this is to a point, there are some genuine moments in this where you feel like Louis Theroux is trying to understand these people. And it wasn't all nudge, nudge, wink, wink. There was some humanity running through. But Mm. this is more comedic. I would say. And I think he's playing the sort of awkward yes. fish out of water, wet behind the ears. He's sort of still, I think at this point, struggling to find his voice a little yes. bit and what, what he wants to do. I think he feels really awkward when Mike asks him a question about his own religious yes. beliefs, because religion is a big thing that runs through this, as you say. It's Randy, isn't it? Like evangelist, like like devout Christian. Devout Christian. The first thing that Louis organises them to do is dress as Santa, or he thinks initially dressing as Santa and getting money for the the homeless or the charity. And uh, Randy describes it as Satan Claus. There's an overarching thing about religion and his feelings about JJ, who's obviously in the porn industry. And then when you meet this guy who think this what was his name the guy the reverend who uh, channels the alien he completely walks out of the room and and won't participate won't even sit face to face with him for me the best bits were the bits with mike yes i think he was the most endearing character the bit where he tried to get him into the recording studio and weirdly set him up with the much younger <laughs> recording. Was she the weirdest uh, person on that programme, despite the man channeling the alien? I thought that woman was the most <laughs> bizarre creature I'd ever seen on. on what was one. her name? She had a Kitty Glass name, or thought... something like that, was it? But she was like uh, all over him and praising him and mm, really uncomfortable. I think the genuine bit where they all had the connection was where Mike did the open mic yes. night and JJ was clapping along, really sort of engaging with him. Randy was more sort of begrudgingly, actually, I enjoyed that. You know, and there's this scene where he gets them to carol on the subway. It's nice programming. You're always wondering, though, is Louis mocking these people? The questions he asks them sometimes are quite rhetorical or there to provoke a reaction, I feel. I didn't view it as mocking. No. Um, but provoking but what, what a reaction, you know. What did irritate me is whenever it felt yeah. like it got real, it was like, and this isn't how I see Louis through now at all, but it felt like 
whenever it tried to get real, he would try and pull it back. We want this to be a fun Christmas show. But those are the bits yeah. that you that you shouldn't shy away from. I think the questions he asked, he already knew the answer to. If well, he knew an sense, answer that know. he wanted to get. Yes. Yeah. I think that's where I was. Like he knew, especially whenever it was about religion and all three of them were there, that it would provoke a discussion yeah. because Mike, what was his belief? Something about miracles or something like that? I can't remember. Well, what Mike, his... he was sworn off most things, actually. He he was anti-government. There was a something he believed in, and it was something miracle. So, you know, he had a faith, but it was very much not casting blame on others, not, yeah. give, you know, not giving your views, that sort of thing. That was his belief, is not demonising other people for things, yeah, whereas exactly. that was ran, you know, obviously always criticising things. Randy, you accept that JJ has the right to live his life any way he wants to? Sure. Yeah. God gave he us that right. To. That's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. God right. gave us that right. Yeah. God is not a dictator. Yeah. God did not make us a robot. So, and if he, if, if he wants to go out and If he wants to go to hell, movies, he can go to hell. Well, you're saying, but that's the thing, he's going to go to hell. <laughs> In his present condition, if he were to die right now, according to the scriptures, he would go to hell. I don't care. I mean, if hell exists, I'll just go there. It's fine with me. I believe it's over, that's it, you're done. We're ceased to exist, we're out of the loop. You see, JJ, I only have one sentence for you. You're dead, spiritually. And therefore, you cannot receive spiritual things. The Bible says, the natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Is that bad, being dead spiritually? Well, sure. <coughs> that's like bad. You're not alive. Mike, what do you think of what JJ does? That's not my line of work. Uh, I'm, I am taught um, to condemn no one, to pass judgment on no one. Yeah. So I, I cannot pass judgment on what he does. My, my religious beliefs are different um, from other people's. I lean more to the philosophy that um, everything you do is caused by you. I don't care what they are. If they honestly believe it and stay true to their faith, I respect them for that dedication and that passion you know, to work at it. Yeah. I mean, no matter what it may be. I mean, even if I think what they're doing is completely silly. Yeah. It, it's still, it's, it represents a very, uh, a person that's at least honest with themselves. But for the group dynamic, for the team, if you accepted Jesus, it would be great. It uh, would just make us function as a unit well, so well. Well, you know, that's an interesting concept. I did that a while back and- uh, Did you really? I changed my mind. Did you so hear it's that, not, Randy? It's not an uneducated opinion I have. I mean, one of my friends is a minister. I choose to do what I do and go the way I go and, and believe what I believe. Um, I find that most religions, um, Christianity especially in this country, are very unaccepting and unwilling to allow any other, any kind of diversion of thought. Christianity is not a religion. No, no it's not a religion. Christianity is a division of religion. It's not a religion. Christianity is a division of religion. No, it's not. Wait, hang on. Hang it on. Is. Randy, that's an interesting one. You don't think Christianity is a religion? Oh, no. Christianity by itself is not a religion. It's a division. No, it's not a division. It's not a religion. Well, what is it then? Reality. That's irrelevant. If, what do you mean it's irrelevant? I've been yeah, no, no, Hold it. Hold oh, oh, oh. no, Okay, is there anything we can do to cement the team? Like, I was thinking maybe some Christmas carols. Well, that'd be kind of phony to sing about somebody that you didn't believe is God. Well, sing Holly and the Ivy or one of the ones I saw three ships. Why are these wreaths out here and all these lights and what is this all about? It's Christmas. I saw and, and, three ships and, and come sailing in on Christmas, Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Don't you believe? I saw three Look, let me ask you. We'd have to agree on something. Yeah, Rudolph. So, all right. 
Well, Rudolph, yeah, what are you saying about Rudolph? Red-nosed reindeer? Is that all right? Sure. Rudolph the, the red-nosed reindeer, reindeer had a very shiny nose. And one day on Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, does no one know the words? Not, no, I never have. I, I enjoy listening to it, but I don't know. In fact, I've Santa always Claus detested is... the song myself, but that's all right. Yeah. I enjoyed this. It was an easy watch. It was interesting to see sort of year one Louis Theroux, yeah. the four episodes aired in January and February of 1998. So obviously this was his first foray. Again, I remember him being a thing at the time. If anything, I probably would have watched the wrestling episode that he did of the Weird Weekends because I was a massive wrestling fan. And, you know, the infamous one with Jimmy Savile and the other celebrity ones he did. The Hamiltons with... and uh, Keith and Orville Daniels. and Paul Daniels, Debbie McGee. Because they would have got more um, press at the time because he was, you know, spending time with these sort of infamous stars. That is what I remember of Louis through more than these weird weekend ones. As far as I know, this was my first time watching this. This was before the internet, so our only window into these weird subcultures were these sort of shows. I'd never heard of people living underground preparing for the, the early of the... days of the internet, yeah. if you say that. Living underground, preparing for the apocalypse, severe religion. I was in two minds whether to watch this because I wondered if you'd never seen it before, whether you'd be able to get enough from it. But I think because it's an hour long, because it gives... I think as well, he covered that fine. The first five minutes you knew who everyone was, how he'd met them before, who they were. Yeah, You got all you needed to know, really. And I was, again, really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I think Mike was the most sympathetic character. There were moments in it where you could almost see him regret his decision to live so isolated in Idaho because he was clearly enjoying the company of other people, even though he might not always agree with their life choices or what comes out of their mouth. But he clearly enjoyed dressing up as Santa Claus and he clearly enjoyed the time in the recording studio and the attention from the weirdest lady on the planet. That was infectious. The guy who channels the alien is another thing altogether. I don't understand that at all or, or why. I can I can understand why he wasn't part of the, yes, the whole ensemble. Because that was his only party trick, really, and how many times can you do that? Also, I, I think it was interesting that despite their differences, and there were points where they weren't talking to one another or they got into really heated debates, they did put aside their differences to be part of a strange little trio and sing mm. Christmas carols and and although JJ always was walking a couple of steps behind everyone else, yes. wasn't he? The only time he seemed comfortable outside of the bit where we saw him filming a porn scene was yeah. when he was at the gig watching Mike. Yeah. I think that was the only time I think he he looked truly comfortable. And I think that is his personality. I think even in his episode he was awkward and, and shy and unsure. That was the point of him really, yeah. that he was this yeah. shy guy who was in the military and but he was a porn actor. Yeah. As you say, now everyone's online and you know, you can access people spouting all kinds of garbage if you want, yeah, whenever you want. Whereas as you say, then 
these programs were shining a light on them. I think we would find the individual episodes probably quite tame now. But yeah. I think this is a nice little snapshot of everything at the same time. And Louis almost does like a people pleaser, really. He knows yes. in his head that these three people aren't going to get along, but he tries his best. Although, again, you know, you're always thinking how much of this is done knowing that this isn't going to happen. And yeah. that was always in the back of my mind. But I think it was an interesting thing. And definitely the scenes with Mike in the recording studio and at his gig were my my personal favourites. And, and the moments when they all let their hair down and enjoyed it mm. were, were fun as yeah. well. Yeah, the caroling concert, the, yeah. the collecting money, that the, sort of the thing. The moment where Louis tells the singing coach that he was trying to get them to all sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and it brought them all together but none of them knew all the words yeah. and the guy just breaks down laughing parts of it felt really that its heart was in the right place I really enjoyed it and so I'd recommend if you want to go on iPlayer everything Louis's done bar a couple they're all on there finally because we're in the 90s we're going to do a docu-soap uh, this one's Paddington Green I feel like I've spoken a lot, Matthew, so speak Lucas. about... <laughs> we need to explain the sort of docu-soap sort of boom of the, of the late 90s, would you say? Mid to late 90s? When was the cruise? 98, the cruise. So, yeah. No. Okay. What are you pinpointing then as 97? Driving school. Driving school, yes. So driving school, as you say, was about driving school. <laughs> but specifically, there was this woman called Maureen who had failed her driving test multiple times. You shouldn't come on like that. You should use the end till the end. If it had been a car coming down there. No, you're in wrong here. Don't. I'm in top. i got to go in top. Over. Right. That's it. After him now. No, 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 no. Was no. a car? No. No, 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 he's no, moving no. now. Of course he is. He wants to go. Too many cars coming. Too many cars coming. Keep going to the curve. I told you to slow down. Oh, right now. Whoa! Whoa! For Christ's sake! What's the matter with you? Bloody! What'd you do that for? The car was up your ass. I could have been off. No. What'd you do that for? I could have been off. And she became a bit of a star out of it. And I think these were basically following people and their everyday lives. So there was the driving school, as we mentioned. There was Cruise, which gave us Jay McDonald. There was both airport and airline. Airline was BBC, later. Airline was ITV. Airline was later, okay. Yeah. See, Luke has the, the memory of I these, these shows. I don't know why. It's not doing me any good. <laughs> and then there was Paddington Green, which aired its debut episode on Bank Holiday Monday over Christmas time, weirdly, was the lead-in for the final episode of Men Behaving Badly and focused on different people in Paddington Green, that area uh, of London. We both watched it on YouTube and the it starts with the uh, continuity announcer introducing it as Real People, Real Lives, a major new series for BBC One Now. 90s Britain as it is in London's Paddington Green. The opening sequence to it, we have like these images which include someone giving money to a prostitute, people kissing on a bench, money being exchanged for possibly like a drug deal, 
someone on a mobile phone drinking coffee, which obviously 90s, come on, and then some children on the swing. It's got this weird like CD music you would associate with something going on in the underworld if it was used on a drama that's the sort of association i would have with it and then your opening scene is all these young girls auditioning for a part in a production of annie what's going on here i thought i was watching this hard-hitting documentary it was a thing where we followed a lot of different characters there's three separate stories going on in this first episode the girls auditioning for a uh, production of Annie. These were students at the Sylvia Young uh, Drama School. It was a big production. They had a American male director who liked to touch the heads of these young girls, which I don't think he could get away with today. And we met Dominique, who uh, was this young black girl, really animated, and then her friend Leah. They were both 12, but Leah looked a lot older. I got sick of hearing Tomorrow by the end of this episode because a lot of it was them singing either Tomorrow or or, um, Hard Knock Life. But I don't know if you were there going, she was rubbish. (laughs) No, I'm not not judging these young girls. I was. Yeah, so that was one story. Then we had Dave, who managed four car parks but struggled to manage his money and he had this sort of world-weary accountant guy and he had this was Dave venturing into the world of fine arts and going to an auction and being accompanied by a guy who was literally there to just lift and carry things for him out of the auction. And then we had uh, Danny, who was a bus conductor. Kids ask your parents what a bus conductor was. He kept having clashes with his boss because Danny liked to wear his baseball cap back to front, which was the style at the time. The big sort of drama is that the bus that he is the conductor for isn't stopping where it normally stops and people are getting annoyed by that. The sort of the low stakes nature of Paddington Green and I think of the docu-soap as as a whole genre, really. I mean, of the four shows, I think maybe either this or Louis Theroux are the ones that sort of represent the time, I think, whereas like... We've got Men Behaving Badly, which is finishing. We've got Jonathan Creek, which is, you know, very traditional. But Louis Threw was a new way of doing that sort of documentary. And I thought, like, having, like, a docu-soap, the genre sort of was introduced the year before. So this was something I thought was was sort of very prevalent to discuss as part of this. I mean, I don't know why this sort of TV appealed, but I I think looking back, it's you didn't really see people doing their jobs so much on tv you didn't see people living their lives certainly for me it was never went to london just never had a reason to never had this desire to so seeing different aspects of life there and there was something quite natural and humane about this i wasn't watching these sort of shows with a cynical this is made for tv attitude i was just watching as this is being presented to me as it happened and i like this person and that person and this person is annoying but i still like them because they're fascinating paddington green was an interesting one because it didn't have a hook necessarily it was literally the stories you set up and we'd flip and flop between them all they were all really interesting the bus conductor as well you could see it wasn't 
the life he wanted. It's just the life he ended up with and he's struggling to make ends meet. And that's very relatable even now. And then you've got the girls auditioning for Annie, which didn't seem to fit with the other two, but was something I hadn't seen on TV before. uh, And I remember seeing at the time. I just don't know how these young children go through these rigorous audition process where they are literally reduced to a number and if your number doesn't get called you don't move on and is that because you're terrible or you did a bad audition or because you don't look right or because you're not the right you know shape or size or build or hair colors wrong whatever it is you can understand why so many people in that industry end up having problems later in life when they start so early but I found it all fascinating it was another quick and easy watch the thing is it didn't really have a through line it was basically just what it said this is 90s britain as it is these people aren't linked other than the fact that they live in Paddington green it was just interesting to see people you hadn't met before and follow their day there's no other benefit to it than that there's very low stakes but i enjoyed it do you think we still have this sort of show today i was just thinking this was one of the things i was thinking there's two things Um, i think killed it i think the office killed it because I don't think mm-hmm. you can do this sort of mock this sort of documentary anymore. And then I think Big Brother killed it because I think with mm. Big Brother you got people becoming savvy of how to behave on TV. I'm not talking about the early years of Big Brother. I'm talking about the fifth series on where people were mm. very aware of being on TV. I don't think you could do it I, now because I think what I was saying is on that Instagram they... and TikTok and all these mm. things, so we don't need to see it. Two sort of, not counter-arguments, but two things I would say. A, you know, Channel 4 sort of rejuvenated this with the fixed cam thing, yes, didn't they? With, with the, 24, you know, 24 hours and, hours and every AV. minute and educating yeah. all those. That, to me, is almost like the next step of the doctor yes. show, which some yeah. of those are still on. Luke, you don't watch any Channel 5. No, I make it a point. Channel 5 still do quite a lot. Of, you know, there's traffic cops... My mum loves Bargain Loving Brits in the Sun, and that is essentially a docu-soap. It still exists to an extent, but it's not the phenomena that it was in the 90s. You know, you really had to be there for, you know, there was, like Jane McDonald, for example, you know, has become a household name because of a docu-soap, because of the cruise. And Jeremy was the airport guy, and Maureen from Driving School, as we referenced, Jackie was the one I remember from Paddington Green. I I, yeah. I remembered her name. This went on for six series. Um, yeah, I was that. We haven't mentioned uh, Ross Kemp as the as the voiceover. Yeah, I mean do he doesn't think? he doesn't overdo it. He's not there a lot. He's Overpower. Not, he's not Ross explaining the whole thing. I think we'll, <laughs> that's know. what we'll use as a, as a new yeah. catchphrase. Which is Ross explaining. Yeah, just quickly for me, I enjoyed. The stage school stuff, I think the most, you know, it was the most engaging. We've all been children, I suppose, and we've all had hopes and dreams. But I think you just feel that, don't you? The anticipation of, are we going to get through to the next round? And you've got, like, Ross as the narrator literally telling you, these are the numbers of the two girls that you have been watching, so you could pay attention to if these numbers get called. Danny was very charismatic, so I quite liked him. I did have a quick look, though, as well. 
Dominique, I don't know if you looked up, is yes, still acting. Still acting was just in Finding Alice with Keely Hawes. I watched all just. Of that. Well, just in my memory. Two years ago. Two years ago. Uh, but apparently earned quite a lot of plaudits for um, Horrible Histories roles that she did. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I enjoy, I enjoyed it, and and again, it's it's sort of of a time. I think Paddington Green allowed them to do this without having to focus on one specific industry as well. It's just these are people who are only connected by the place they live in. So we've got a good cross section of ages and backgrounds, things that are relevant to the time. So it was it was interesting going back and watching it, but. It was very sort of 90s. I wondered if you remembered the closest thing we had to this that was commissioned in 2010 and didn't last very long on Channel 4. Life in a Day? Close. It was called Seven Days. And it would film literally up to the day of broadcast. So people were talking about relatively topical things in a borough of London. And it just didn't take off. Because I know you weren't living in, in the UK at the time. It's the big thing they promoted after the end of Big Brother mm. earlier that year. That this is the new look of Channel Four, and actually, though, it did spawn the shows that we talked about. It didn't work, but the idea of putting this camera places that ultimately did replace Big Brother, the yeah. twenty four hours in A and E, the education, and then the led to Gogglebox, and got and led to Gogglebox first dates as well you know these yeah. big shows that are temple shows of channel four in the last decade or so the idea of those is people will hopefully behave more naturalistically if we just stick a camera in a room rather than having a camera crew where they work as well they're not thinking about the camera because they are no. going about their daily lives yeah basically a full house of, of good shows this yeah. week but I really enjoyed each one for different reasons. Just found them really easy to watch. It um, made me feel nostalgic. bit sad that we don't live in 98 still, but I enjoyed revisiting And them. I think just to sort of compare it to today, I think there is a lot of like, not risks being taken, but it's a bit more sort of risque than I'm just thinking of like putting together this year's Christmas schedule. And it is a lot of you know, shiny floor entertainment mm. shows. It's things that have been the staple now for years and years and years. Yeah. The only thing possibly ghosts is the only thing perhaps that you would say is different. Again, that's quite a traditional sitcom. Whereas as we were saying, you know, you had that scene from the men behaving badly Christmas special, which aired on Christmas day. You had <laughs> the Louis through thing, the omen on channel four. It was an odd time to be around. And I think we sort of, lost it a bit as we went into the 2000s i think when strictly and doctor who became big and that that became every year we need a special of these things and by and by that got added to so that's where the current christmas schedule sort of started around sort of 05 i would say mm. that's when they went away fully from having that massive film premiere in prime time the last one that I could see from doing my research was the first Harry Potter film in 2004. Mm. Uh, it was on BBC uh, on Christmas Day. But talking of Christmas Day, Luke, what was in the charts? Oh, we don't need to know. But...
Again, I'm going to do the top 12 because Believe is still in there. Was it the Christmas number one? I thought the Spice Girls. No, no, no. It's number four. Also still in the charts. At number six is Heartbeat slash Tragedy by Steps. Uh, So we again start at number 12. It's by a rapper and it is a song we have mentioned in the last 10 or 15 minutes. Just organically we mentioned it. It was a large feature of one of the shows we discussed, the last show we discussed. Oh, Jay-Z, Hard Not Life. There you go. That was terrifying. Um, I I blacked out. (laughs) (laughs) Number 11 is a um, song by one of the most famous people, I would say still today, but he he had a massive late 90s, or massive 90s just generally. Uh, He was a singer, a rapper, an actor. Mainly just an actor now Won an Oscar a couple of years ago Will Smith Um, Will Smith Uh, Any ideas what the song was Before I give you more clues Miami Yeah Miami Well done Looking at how big the docusoap was Number 10 is a a song by Again someone we just mentioned Who is Jane McDonald Yeah so any idea what the song might be called was it was it like when beneath my wing? It wasn't a no no no. It's it's very it's very specific to the time period and the show she was on. Don't know then. What was the show she was on? The cruise. And what was the time period? Oh, Christmas cruise. <laughs> Put those the other way around. Cruise at Christmas. Cruise into Christmas. Oh, oh was well, the name of the song. You can't blame her. Number nine. We've mentioned this. Artist before a female artist, teenager, now better known as an actress, Billy. Yeah, this is the first of her songs that didn't go to number one. Third single, I think. She wants to something like that. Or, or, almost. She wants you. She wants okay. you. There you go. Number eight. This is a song that I really associate with 1998, and um, it is a. Male Canadian singer and one fifth of it's one Brian of the Adams and Brian Adams and I'll see yep. when you're gone. There you go. Number seven, uh, three piece girl bands. Honeys. Um, yeah. Finally found. No, we End did that one line. before. End of the line. That's it. Yeah. Number six, as I said, is uh, Heartbeat Tragedy by Steps. Number five, Irish girl band. Third consecutive number one single. Bewitched, you belong to me. Almost. <laughs> no, hang on. To you, I belong. There you go. Um, number four, believe by share. So there are three new entries in the Christmas chart. Luke, this is a one that you might struggle to remember. Okay. Um, two TV show hosts doing a cover of a. 80s. I know what it is. Yeah, it's go Johnny, on. Johnny and Denise, especially for you. Oh wow! See, your memory is like just... it's terrifying. <laughs> now, can you remember either number one or number two? Well, number one is the Spice Girls' Goodbye, I think. Yeah, but number two, you'd have to give me clues on. Number two was number one the next week, and was a song that I was really hoping was number one. Chocolate salty balls. From... There you go. <laughs> Chocolate salty balls. That's the what a time to be alive. I know. What what a microscope <laughs> we just went under. Thank you, you for go. 
torturing me twice. Thank you as well for listening to this festive edition of the TV Time Machine. And thank you if you have told us across social media that you've enjoyed this new incarnation or spin-off from our weekly podcast. And people have got in touch, so we will keep doing it. And it is an interesting look at a time period that we're somewhat still connected to but also a long way away from. And next inter- month, Luke's Tales from Wales. Yes. It mainly involves me sitting in a cold car listening to the radio, but I'll try and envelop on it a lot. So what's changed? I now sit in a room and listen. <laughs> so um, on the next edition will be in January 1999, a new year for the Custard TV podcast and a new year for the time machine. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can like, subscribe, and uh, not subscribe. Yeah, you can to the Custard TV podcast and the TV Time Machine. Share is the other. Share it across all your social medias. Let people know we exist. Write us a nice five star review. Make that your Christmas gift to us or cash. I mean, yeah, whichever. But probably the five star. I'm just going further down the chart here. Yeah. Des Lynham had a hit, Um, peaked at number 45. (laughs) I think Des Lynham probably picked up 45 as well, to be quite honest. But yes. Sorry. So we'll be back. We'll be back in 99. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.